This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Fizzy Fuzzy Big and Buzzy by the refreshments. The end of the alternative movement in a, encapsulated when people turned on the refreshments and pummeled them with handfuls of sod. Yeah, that's what makes them unique and makes them stand out, but it's also the kind of thing that at times drives me crazy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Manichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay. Yeah. I want to know a little bit of Howard Cosell there, just at the very end. A little bit of Howard Cosell. I heard that. Uh, we have, once again, back on our plate is another requested review. Requested, requested review. Uh, this one is one I think... I'm going to take a guess. You're probably familiar with like one or two songs from this band, Jay. Is that a, is that a relatively good guess? At least one, yeah. Yeah, so was I. Pretty hard to avoid the one song. Uh, and I'm, of course, referring to The Refreshments and their album Fizzy, Fuzzy, Big, and Buzzy, which was suggested by Ali... I'm going to pronounce the last name wrong. I should have asked for a pronunciation guide, but I am too lazy to do such a thing. And our intern was off for the holidays. Ezzedine? Ezzedine? It's easy, easy. I don't know. Uh, whatever. It's a- <laughs> I can't pronounce it. I'm sorry. I apologize. This has become like, for some people, the fun, the, the best part of the show. Yeah, I know. We get a lot of comments. Tim, why can't you pronounce anything that isn't Smith or Jones. And I'm here to tell you, I suffered a mild concussion as a child playing Little League Baseball, and that has affected my brain in a way that I can't pronounce uh, difficult last names, which is oh especially difficult because I have a difficult last name. So, Jay, we were talking about the refreshments. Of course, when I mentioned their singles, I'm speaking of the one single that everybody kind of knows, which is Banditos. And then they also had a second single, which had mild success. Not like Banditos, but was down together. That was the second single. Uh, Banditos is the one that you're probably familiar with out of those two, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay. A lot of airplay. Oh, a lot of airplay. We're going to get to that because I didn't I even really it, realize how much airplay it got. I want to say it was around the same time that like maybe No Doubt. Uh, sort of hit. Is that right. about right? You're probably you are right about that. Yes, you are correct. Uh, so let's get into the history of the refreshments. History of the band. So the band formed in late '93, early '94 in Arizona, I believe. Tempe is the city. I didn't write it down, but it's, I think it's Tempe. Uh, Roger Klein on vocals and guitar. Dusty Denham on drums and vocals. They were originally in a band called The Mortals that formed in 1992. And they started the refreshments with Buddy Edwards on bass and vocals and Brian Blush on guitar and vocals. I just want to point out that this band has a Dusty and a Buddy which seems completely appropriate as far as I'm concerned. So after an A&R rep from Mercury heard their South by Southwest demo submission, 
He checked out the band and then signed them to his Mercury Records. So in 1995, unfortunately, the uh, appropriately named Dusty Denim left the band and was replaced by Paul Nafa in January 96. Their first official album was released. They did have an independent release, which was made up of their demo submission, uh, which was this album we're reviewing, Fizzy, Fuzzy, Big and Buzzy, was released. And the single Banditos reached number one on the Billboard Heat Seekers chart and number 14 on the Modern Rock chart. Now, I thought they were more of like a college hit band, but apparently they had a lot of mainstream success with that single. So that kind of shocked me. Uh, yeah, I, I remember that quite clearly. Um, like I said, the no doubt sort of era of, right. of, of, of bands. Yeah. I remember this being played like crazy on pretty much, you know, straight up rock radio. So in the fall of 97, their second album, the bottle and fresh horses was released shortly thereafter. The band was released by Mercury records and then Mercury dissolved into a conglomerate of other labels. Uh, Edwards and Blush left the band, and then uh, Roger Klein and Paul Naffa started a new band called Roger Klein and the Peacemakers. Uh, here's the bit of trivia that you may or may not know about the refreshments. They wrote the theme song for what TV show, Jay? Hmm. Jeez, I don't know. I'll take a wild guess. Uh, like my so-called life or something like that? No, that's a good I guess, but know. no. King of the Hill. Oh. Yeah, that's that's the refreshments. So uh, I'm wondering if they make a royalty every time that show is aired in syndication. Boy, I hope so. I hope they're making some pennies off of that. Oh, my gosh. It, they would be raking it in. They, they would have to have at least uh, whoever got writing credit for the song. Is I hope Mike judged. Huh? Uh, is there a vocal on it? I don't know. I don't watch King of the Hill, but I hope yeah. Mike Judge didn't go. Here's five grand. Would you write us a single or a, 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 a introduction song for the show? And then that was it. I hope they I hope they're getting some royalties, some mechanicals on yeah. that. Yeah. So that is the history of the refreshments. If you would like to suggest a band for review, please visit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. Now we did get some Facebook feedback on this record. Lucas McDermott chimed in. He said, Luke, uh, FFBB, as it's known amongst Refreshments fans, is a great record. Down Together is my favorite song from the record. Eric Alexi, I fondly remember shoplifting this promotional single from an issue of Alternative Press magazine, which I think either Mazzy Star or Girls Against Boys was on the cover of. Don't Want to Know is especially good. Eric, we are sending the police to your house for shoplifting that single. Please... Stand by. Uh, Gabrielle Lippincott said, Great album, perfect fit for the 90s. They played this a lot on Princeton Broadcast Radio. And then Eric Peterson, who just recently had a request to read review, he said, The video and the music seem like solid party rock that would fit in with alt rock radio, college radio, and the more edgy and the more rock edge of new country. I have to wonder what the role of the Telecom Act of 1996 played in derailing the refreshments along with other bands who were trying to get a foothold in the changing radio landscape. That's an interesting perspective. I haven't heard that one before, but I guess the 
the telecom act allowed, you know, uh, Clear Channel to go in and swoop up all those radio stations and turn them into generic, you know, alternative or pop stations. So that's that's interesting statement. And then he also posed a question, which he posed uh, with the um, uh, previous episode uh, that we did with the request review. Was 96 also the year when the labels, the real point in the, in the decade, when the labels moved away from selling records to Generation X and then moved on and tried to sell records to Generation Y? It says, tries to hook Generation Y. That's the question that we're going to ponder at some point mm-hmm. during this review. Is 96 the transition year from Nirvana and Soundgarden to Spice Girls and Hanson? Oh, that's a very interesting question. Yeah. So let's get into the record, and we'll answer that as we're moving along. It's uh, Fizzy Fuzzy Big and Buzzy, FFBB, by The Refreshments. Their major label debut, we talked about the single Banditos, huge single. So this record, Jay. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear your opinion, because we've, we've already reviewed a band from this area, the Sidewinders. You were not kind to the Sidewinders. Mm. You called them a, a hookless bar band. <laughs> wow. To I'm which sorry. people took took some um, very appropriate umbrage to. Really? So is, is are the refreshments just another hookless bar band? Mm. Or are they worthy of the number one spot on the Heat Seeker chart as they achieved in the 90s? Well, I did think of that band quite a bit when I was listening to this record, to be completely honest. Um, it also wrote, didn't Head Candy have some elements like this too? Um, if I'm thinking correctly. It just seemed like we had reviewed the record, records similar to this at least, you know, a couple times in, in the past. Um, you know, the thing about this band that, that makes them different, for better or worse, is probably the vocal delivery. Um mm-hmm. It's very unique. Well, it's distinctive. Let's put it that way. Um, Now, I, you know, underneath it all is sort of, you know, Americana, uh, bar, band, rock, pretty straightforward. Um, Nothing, you know, they dabble in some like, you know, mariachi elements and some reggae rhythms here and there, like just subtly. And they, they wander mm-hmm. a little bit, some different influences. But, you know, at the heart of it, it sounds like, you know, pretty middle of the road American rock. Um, but the vocal delivery and sort of style of singing and in, 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 in lyric writing is probably what makes this band distinctive. Um and, and it's both their appeal. And in, for me, some cases, the thing that I find kind of annoying, uh, the reason for that is, you know, it's very much, um, what's the term? You write screenplays. You probably know the correct term for this, but uh, is it exposition? Sort of the, the description of, of, of minute details and setting up of scenes, but almost very little story. Is that, is that the correct word? Well, uh, exposition would be like you're explaining. You have to explain everything that that to lead that leads up to this point, right? Like, and bore the audience with like background or like this is the machine that does this. We need it to do this to do this. You know, yeah. like 
instead of the machine just doing it. That's, right. that's, that's a, a on the spot sort of uh, explanation of that. I, I think I, you mean like he gets in the minutia of stuff. Yeah, and there's a lot of setting up and telling of detail, but not really telling a story or I don't know, ever really paying that off into some sort of emotional impact. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, in the car, driving down the road, it's hot outside, and we're listening to the radio, the car gets a runs out of gas and we pull off on the side of the road and we get out and there's getting sweat in my eyes. And you're just like, holy Moses, where are we going with this? You know, it's a little bit exhausting because not only do you have that sort of um, lyrical content, but there's almost no rhyming in it. It, it, You know, I appreciate that. But then the other side of it, it's like, geez, you just sound like you're kind of just saying things, you know, (laughs) you're not really singing like something that I can remember. And, and, and there's a hook in there. Now, the thing that's weird about that is I think that's appealing to some people because it's, you know, there's sort of a, when you hear it a couple of times, you start to try to memorize it. And, you know, there's a lot of like pop culture and geographic and um, references in there that you can kind of pick up and stuff on and stuff. So I think for some people that's kind of appealing, but for me, it can be, you know, personally it can be a little bit grating and annoying. So I struggle with this band a little bit from that aspect of, yeah, that's what makes them unique and makes them stand out. But it's also the kind of thing that at times drives me crazy. You know, I think there's there's probably more hooks here than the Sidewinders, in my opinion. Oh, definitely. Um, definitely. Yeah. So, you know, they got that going for them. Uh, obviously, they had, you know, a hit song, which um, I think the, the to me, the the other single down together is it almost the same song. If you look at the structure of that song, it's almost identical in terms of the elements um, and how the the uh, the sequencing of parts, um, even the sort of going to the toms for the uh, for the chorus or what is the chorus? Sort of the pre-chorus ends up being the best, like the hookiest part of the song, and then there's a chorus that's a little bit kind of down a little bit from that, um, and just the overall like coming in with a sort of a rock chord progression. Um, it's the two songs; they're almost like sister songs on the record. Let's go. 
and I think that's a good direction for them. It almost feels like um, at times, I don't know if you're familiar with the Super Suckers, but it kind of has that yeah. sort of, you know, desert kind of Americana slash country vibe to it. But, you know, so I think that's when they're in their best element. Um, unfortunately, there's some meandering here into like mid-tempo, almost pseudo ballads that yeah. don't quite work. That, that's where it sort of loses me is, I I think his personality as a singer works better on a song like Blue Collar Suicide where he's able to, you know, shout it out and the song has got a lot of energy and he's able to sing with energy or um, you know, Bandito so they're down together those those or if or if they're doing something a little bit different like on Mexico which you mentioned that mariachi vibe to the music. Mm-hmm. But when you get into a song like Don't Want to Know, it just sort of gets a little dull. Like he's he doesn't have the energy or fire with his vocal, and I I don't need ballads from him. That's yeah, the it kind of comes off as a as a candle box with less character, if that's possible. Um, yeah, it's like a more vanilla version of a candle box ballad or something. Um, yeah, and and you were saying you know sometimes the lyrics can go from I guess you'd say clever to annoying. I, I think that that's one of the toughest things to do is to be clever and make you remember things, but not necessarily be funny and be jokey. Because I think that Bandidos really rides that line of being clever with all the pop culture references. It sort of is in the, I, I would put it in the vein of like, like Crackers, Teen Angst, What the World Needs Now, mm-hmm. or Harvey Danger's Flagpole Sitta. Like those sorts of songs where they're clearly, you know, playing with pop culture and pop culture references and being ironic and being sarcastic and clever, but they never really fall into like a parody or a, or a, a jokey kind of side to it, which yeah. if you do, I think it instantly ruins your credibility. sort of surprised because if you go to amazon this band has nine or this album has 94 reviews which is a lot for this is a kind of obscure album from the 90s but has 94 reviews not one is below four stars they're all five or four star reviews wow which i've never seen that before i mean usually you have a spread of people like i checked out this band because of the single and i didn't really like any of the other songs kind of a letdown blah 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 this is overwhelmingly everybody who has gotten this record and it, you know that might have been all their fans who went to amazon and wrote those reviews but regardless 
that's pretty amazing. And not to say that Amazon is the end-all be-all of reviews, not the Rotten Tomatoes reviews or anything like that, but they definitely, and I think because they only did two albums and because while they did have one big single, they maintained a fairly consistent sound on the record. I don't think the single is atypical of what's on the record. That right. they in, they sort of garnered that sort of uh, appreciation by their fans that mm. they're a you know a southwestern bar band with some sing-along fun tunes a big single to sing with and lots of songs about drinking and women and women especially being mean and doing a lot of physical <laughs> physical abuse yeah. and uh, I, I don't know if you went and read the lyrics but the, the lyrics are actually really fun and interesting uh it wasn't uh it wasn't uh roger klein who did it which is surprising it was uh buddy edwards went on to be a novelist i believe after being in this band but when you read some of the lyrics of roger klein's uh like in european swallow there's this section of the song where he goes i'm just going to read this verbatim Uh, So this big old guy comes up to me and he says, hey, skinny white boy, I don't like the way you're looking at you look at my girlfriend. What an ugly thing to say. I say, don't flatter yourself. You know, I don't think that much of your girlfriend. So that big old guy socks me in the nose. I fall on my back. I get blood on my clothes. He says, hey, skinny white boy, what'd you think about that? I says, well, it doesn't change much. I still don't think much of your girlfriend. That's funny, but it's not like um, it's, it's not like a joke. Like right. it's a anecdotal, funny, clever little thing to put into your song. I don't know what it has to do with the song overall, yeah. but I could see that irony in there and cleverness is something that I would see in a writer, you know, somebody yeah. who writes whether fiction or, or what have you, screenplays, whatever. But that's, that's a pretty well-written and, and clever set of lyrics and it works to the advantage of, of the band for the most part, but there are songs where I kind of found it to be like in, in a song like uh, uh, carefree, he sort of repeats the same motif th- from lyric to lyric uh, in section to section. And it gets a little boring. And I kind of felt like it parts of the album, it got repetitive and that was mainly due to the lyrical content. Yeah. I think that's why I sort of was trying to come up with a, a literature <laughs> sort of reference for 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 where the, this was going liter- uh, lyrically you know at, at times it feels contrived i guess or forced like 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 you said that's a really well wit- written statement but in terms of singing a melody it becomes very clumsy and difficult to say and you know they can sort of force it in there and you're at the context of trying to write sort of these you know pretty innocent pop songs it, it's sort of a i don't know I, I find it a, a little difficult to take sometimes. A song like like Mexico, which you brought up, is one I wanted to touch on in regards to that. Where you know, I think musically they pull off that mariachi vibe really well, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the kind of thing where I think on a lot of records, when you when we would when we hear bands sort of stray into genre music of some sort or another and try to try to wear that uh, for a track or two, we, we usually groan. I think they do it generally. Uh, genuinely really well and here comes the same old verse about mexico where we just can't help ourselves we lost our 
talk to senoritas and drink warm beer. And actually, the chord progression and stuff, it, it's kind of a, a really cool song underneath musically, but the lyric is just. I can't get into it. You know, it's basically like you know, making fun of writing songs about Mexico, which, <laughs> you know, you can't, it, it's sort of under this a little bit, I don't know, sort of a serious kind of vibe almost to the music. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, the lyric, I just, it doesn't juxtapose very well for me. And I just, it, I can't, I can't take the song seriously because of that. So I kind of just have to, you know, I end up writing it off because I can't get into the song because lyrically it's just I can't identify with it and I don't know what what the point is of writing a lyric like that. I, you know what I mean? And including on your record to kind of talk about, I guess, the stereotype of what you would... Be, essentially their own process, right? Oh, we're going to write a song based around mariachi and then I'm going to make fun of lyrically of writing a song about Mexico based around mariachi. Mm-hmm. You're, what? Wait a minute. This well, is he's working on some levels me. there. He's, yeah, yeah this is some... too meta for me. I, you're losing me. Like, maybe I'm not smart enough for this. But so that's a great example of of, of one song where the, the lyric just killed it for me. So I, th- I don't know. I what, think, what do you think about that? Well, I think there are times when this is this is a, a band that clearly it's about three or four chords in the verse and a couple chords in the chorus. There's no like massive guitar riffs going on in this album. So, and when you're writing lyrics over a chord progression versus over a guitar riff, it takes on a different life. A vocal becomes more of a, a riff itself when you're voc- when you're writing over a riff. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you write over a chord progression, you tend to stick within the chords, mm-hmm. and it becomes it can become like repetitive and. I think what he's trying to do is break out of always singing within the chords and matching the, the sort of the, the rhythm of the chords. And what happens is he, in trying to be a little bit literate and trying to be a little bit clever, it makes the, the phrasing sit weird on top of those chord progressions. It's almost like he's too smart for his own good with some of the, yeah. some of the lyrics because they don't they don't sit cleanly on top of those chord progressions. I don't know how to describe it better than that, where I just feel like the lyrics and the music sometimes feel detached from each other. Yeah, as opposed I would agree. To, as opposed to feeling like they're working in unison. Right. I think, you know, I totally, I see where you're going in, in that, you know, this is sort of a vocal as a, you know, almost like what a guitar would do in terms of riffs. Um, I think there's a way that, not that the band is busy underneath them, but there's a way that you have to complement that as a band to make, I think, to make that work. And there are times, I think, where they pull it off where they'll be sort of a guitar lead after the vocal and the vocal will stop and sort of play off of that a little bit. And there's sort of an exchange that'll happen um, in a couple of the songs, which is nice. And the guitar playing on the album is really good. I mean, the, mm-hmm. actually, the t- I love the guitar tone. It's really, really nice. I think it must might be a Telecaster tone. But I was going to say, it sounds like a Fender. 
um, you know, the guitar playing is really good. And it's not that like they're busy underneath the vocal. It's just, man, the vocal's doing so much. It's you almost have to really think about musically, like, what do we do to, to, you can't, you know, it, it, it is the band. This, you know, vocal style is the band. So what do we have to do to basically complement that? And sometimes I think in, you know, the singles and a couple other songs are able to do that. And a lot of the others, it, it sort of doesn't mash, um, mash together very well. I think this is a good point to address Eric's question about 96. And, mm. you know, a band like this was well poised to be successful in 94, 95, 96. After that first wave of grunge and the underground alternative bands becoming popular, whether you're talking about the Seattle bands or you're talking about like Sonic Youth or Chicago bands like Veruca Salt and, and um, especially Pumpkins or, you know, Boston bands like Dinosaur Jr. and, and Buffalo Tom and whatever. All the different areas that were had that moment where they were stepping in after Nevermind's shoes kind of opened the door for them and selling millions of records or hundreds of thousands of records and this is sort of the tail end of that. And I think I think he hits on a good point because 96 to 97, 97 is when you get the first Spice Girls album, you get the Hanson <clears throat> album. I think that's when you get the first Inklings. I don't think it was, I don't know if it was 97 or not, but I think in the, that's they were bigger in the UK first. I'm talking about like the boy bands of the time, like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. I think I remember them. They were really big in Europe before they actually hit big in the United States. Because the Spice Girls had sort of reopened the pop market. Well, yeah, I think what you're talking about is that there was a shift. At I think this is the point where we went from holding out hope that we were going to have career bands and sort of, I think this is where we turned the corner to the reality of, you know, career bands were dead and now this was all about singles. And yeah. I think that coincided with the Clear Channel thing. Um, it's sort of, I don't know if it was, you know, a result of it or if it just happened at the same time because of the quarters of things. But if you look at the top alternative songs of 96 and start going through that list, I mean, it is all, yeah, there's some bands in there that have, that have, you know, continued on and had careers, but there is a ton of one hit wonders basically. And alternative radio at that point sort of was immune from that. I mean, you, you had a lot of sort of staples that, were always there and it felt like oh these are bands are going to be around and then all of a sudden there was this massive signing that came out of that and they just you know labels moved to this model of throw something at the wall and if there's not a hit move on you know yeah. drop them sign somebody else throw it at the wall not a hit drop them move on so you know you got sublime the, t the top i think top handful of songs were sublime what i got smashing pumpkins 1979 back oasis Buttle Surfers, Cake, No Doubt, Bush, Everclear, Soundgarden. So, you know, half of those bands sort of went on or continue to have, you know, pretty big careers. But then after that, it's like 311, Space Hog, Jewel, um, Tonic, Primitive Radio Gods. Oh, God. Let's see here. Blues Traveler, Tracy Bonham. You know, there's a one-hit wonder. Seven Mary Three. One-hit you know, wonder, yeah. Folk Implosion. Poe, mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, there's just a laundry list of this is the very, and it got much worse after this. I mean, the, the years that followed this, it became, you know, a lot of these bands I'm saying actually went on and continue to have careers now in some capacity, but it got even worse after this where it was just, I, I bet if you looked at 97 and 98, it's like depressing how many bands are in there that, you know, never made a second record and, um, you know, refreshments down together is, is on this list and. So it, I think it was the beginning of, of a change. Um, and unfortunately, I think we're still in it. I think we're very much still in the, um, when you talk about commercial radio, at least, and um, commercial and, and big record labels, we're still in this era of you get a shot and that's it. And if you don't get a hit song the first time, then you're done and we move on. Now, you mentioned uh, Poe and 311. Ironically enough, and you mentioned No Doubt, I don't know if you remember this, Jay, but in the summer, or actually it was the spring of 96, at the Blossom Music Center was Buzzard Fest. Do you remember? Did you go to any Buzzard Fests? Uh, I went to one. I don't know what year it was. Okay, so Buzzard Fest was the radio station in Cleveland, which was, what was the, the call? Was WMMS. WMMS. So they put it started. They went from being weren't they like a hard rock station, and then they turned into an alternative station in the nineties, or was it the other way around? Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. Uh, yeah, hard rock, you know, straight up commercial rock, a little classic rock mixed in. Okay, so the Buzzard Fest lineup from May of ninety six: the Tragically Hip, Three Eleven, Candlebox, No Doubt, Holy Barbarians, Poe, The Refreshments, Triple Fast Action. Berlin, the Nixons, Goldfinger, God's Child, and Dash Rip Rock. Yeah. So I saw I saw almost all those bands. On the side stage, it was I saw Poe, and then the follow up Poe was the refreshments. And the, what happened with the refreshments was it had rained the day before, and there was sod down that was wet. And about halfway through the first song. People started picking up the sod and throwing it at the refreshments, <laughs> which knocked out their vocal mics. Oh my god! And just covered them in mud, and they basically just started yelling at them, and <sighs> and it basically turned into a big chaos. Like just wow. like they shut down that stage, and the band. I don't that, think the band made it through two songs. This was at Blossom. Yeah, this was at Blossom. It, it was like the side stage, up, uh, you know, closer to. Like it was opposite of the main stage, so it yeah. was, and um, and blossoms a uh, an outdoor sort of shed, yeah, concert. just to give everybody a, a in, in the Cleveland area, yeah. This was the only time I've ever subjected myself to three eleven live. It was pretty awful. I think the lineup was like the main stage lineup was like no doubt, then three eleven, then Candlebox. Was was, was this like a the free li- show? No, this was you had to get con- you had to get tickets for this. Okay. I used to have a t-shirt too for a long time I had a Buzzard Fest t-shirt. I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> but yeah, so I actually did get to see them but it only lasted about a song and a half. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty awful. So maybe maybe that was their ultimate. Maybe yeah. that was the end of the alternative movement in encapsulated when people turned on the refreshments. And pummeled them with handfuls of sod. <laughs> Who knows? It was it was definitely. I didn't see it at the time, but uh, that, in retrospect, is 
I guess what happened. Uh, so getting back to the album, yeah, I was thinking about bands that this band is familiar to. I mentioned like Cracker and Harvey Danger. Uh, now the Jim Blossoms are also from this area, and in in Arizona, and were mentioned in a lot of reviews. But I don't necessarily hear a connection. Like there's there's no humor in any of the Jim Blossoms music, for one thing. There's no cleverness. Mm. It's a pretty straightforward sappy kind of you know girl boy song lyrics yeah but they uh th- a lot of this music um if you can get if you can ignore the the vocal a little bit uh is like uh i kept picturing like it'd be the kind of stuff that you could put on like outside of dance music like rock music that you could put on at like a wedding and girls would get up and dance to you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. It's danceable, but it's not dance music. It's not loud, you know, so it's not going to scare anybody. Um, I, I would consider the Jim Blossoms in that same, you know, sort of place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think County Crows is probably in the same place, especially even you could even include the lyric vocal delivery. I mean, I, I think it's a, a similar uh, idea to what um, Adam Durrance does, mm-hmm. uh, which I find annoying as well. But... <laughs> Uh, I think if you're comfortable with that and you like that style, I, I think you you may actually you know find this interesting thing. So let's talk about a rating, Jay. I am at with regards to our worthy album, better EP, decent single. I'm at a at a better EP. Uh, I really I like a lot of the first half of the record, like Blue Collar Suicide, Down Together. I like Mekong. I think that has some cool lyrics in it. Uh, it's a little bit different vibe from the rest of the album. Bandidos and and Mexico. After that, I sort of lose interest. I think Sucker Punch has some. Again, I, usually what saves the song is he has some interesting lyrics, but I tend to find when they slow down, it loses me, and I don't I don't keep my my attention is not held. That's where I'm at. Better EP. I'm at five songs. What about you? Yeah, I'm at five or six songs. So for an EP. You know, down together, banditos, um, don't want to know, girly. Interstate and Sucker Punch um, are two songs that, you know, they're kind of in that a little bit mid-tempo area that I'm not a huge fan of, but I do appreciate in those two songs that they're a little less wordy and he sings them more, you know, and, and he's got a good, he's got a good voice, you know, he can sing. Um, so I kind of like, hearing those songs and um just him kind of backing off a little bit in terms of you know trying to use so many words and, and maybe just focusing on trying to find some melodies mm-hmm. so i'm I'm comfortable at an ep you know i've also f- I found myself you know a lot of times with this record if i didn't sort of analyze it and i just let it kind of play and kind of go about my business and i found myself tapping my foot a little bit and kind of getting into it and the more i sort of dialed in and started analyzing it that's when i started to you know get critical so i have to be fair to say you know music works on many levels and if you have it on you're going to be like oh god turn that off or well they're never going to jar you they're never going to be like here's a wild chord change with a dynamic shift in tempo and it's going to be a consistent vibe throughout the entire song yeah and it's not going to shake you so if you put it on and you just want to kind of like listen to it without paying attention 
it probably works fine throughout the whole record. Yeah. But when you, yeah, when you start breaking it down, then you start, eh, this song doesn't necessarily do much for me, or eh, this is yeah. okay. Yeah, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. That's it. That is our review of the refreshments and their album Fizzy, Fuzzy, Big and Buzzy. We'd like to thank Ali for sending us his requested review. If you'd like to send yours to us, digmeoutpodcast.com. Check out our reviews that we've got upcoming from our listeners. And uh, if you've got one that you want to review, want us to review, then uh, send us a, you know, a few shekels. That would be appreciated. Keeps this podcast running. Running and gunning. Like Tim Hardaway and Chris Mullen. In the old days of the Golden State Warriors. Anyway, I don't know why I went off on that tangent. I just missed Tim Hardaway and Chris Mullen and all those fun Golden State Warriors. If, uh... <laughs> Sorry, basketball's on the TV. That's why I got distracted. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback on iTunes. Jay, thank uh-huh. you for joining me once again. Clearing up technical issues before we got this podcast rolling. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. What we're here for.